Climb aboard the struggle bus. You got problems just like us. Climb aboard the struggle bus. Let Kate and Sally help you. Welcome to the struggle bus. I'm Kate. I'm Sally. And we're here to fix your lives. That said, we are two people whose only qualifications to give you advice are that we have lots of feelings and lots of opinions. Neither of which are a substitute for professional guidance. Did you know that? Uh, I'm starting to get the message. Right? Yeah. So, hey. Hi, everyone. Here's the thing. We are doing this via Skype. I don't know if you can tell. Um, We're hoping it won't cut out because, you know, we love you. But, uh, Sally, do you want to tell them why we're doing this via Skype? Uh, Okay. So we are recording via Skype because I am in New Orleans and Catherine is in New York. Ooh, like business trip or what's the occasion? A little business, little pleasure. I'm here with... My partner, Andrea, who has a work trip, and I decided to join her. And so we're working. We're both working. And then after today, we're both not working. So it's like, it's a working honeymoon, Catherine. Oh, so wait, somebody got married. Catherine, I may have gotten married. Yes, you did. And um, um, go on. I got married on Saturday um, again. Uh, We were technically legally married, but this was like our ceremony with our our friends and our chosen family mm-hmm, exactly and it was really wonderful and I'm really glad that you you took my location into consideration um you know I don't know if you guys know this but Sally when she plans things it's always a block away from where I live and so uh, it was a it was a destination wedding for us in the sense that we had to only walk a couple blocks which was uh which was really nice yeah it was definitely very handy for all of our Brooklyn-based friends. And I cried, and it was beautiful. And uh, you looked sharp. I'm not going to lie. You looked really sharp. Thank you. Thanks. I think that uh, I now understand why everyone, uh, why people talk about getting clothing made specifically for your body. Makes a huge difference, guys. It really does fit you like it was made for you. Unfortunately, it's very expensive. All right. Well, hey, listen, you can tweet at us at StrugglebusPod. Email us at StrugglebusPodcast at gmail.com. Use the hashtag StrugglePodBuds420 to find a struggle buddy. Instagram.com slash the StrugglebusPod. Um, our website is StrugglebusPodcast.com. You can tweet at Sally Tate T. You can tweet at me at SPK Heller. What did I say? Sally T. I think you said Tay, which honestly, I think that's pretty fun. That's nice. And listen, you can become a member, a bonus episode member for as little as five dollars a month and the way you can do that is going on strugglebuspodcast.com clicking the link to gumroad and uh it really helps sally what do they get if they become a paying member for five dollars a month or more Catherine, they get a monthly bonus episode and an archive of all of the bonus episodes we've ever recorded um there yeah there are 12 are there thir- no i guess there are 12 i don't know a lot i don't know guys it's something some number between 11 and 14. <laughs> um, and you also get a ticket to ride the struggle bus, which is a card we mail you. And it's just a little memento you can keep on you. It says never ride alone. It's just your little membership card to ride the struggle bus. And it looks like a uh, New York City uh, metro card because New York City is where the struggle bus depot is located. Uh, exactly. And let's say you're like, oh, I don't have $5 a month, but I would love to join a safe space uh, secret Facebook group. Uh, you can do that for free. Just email us at strugglebuspodcast at gmail.com. Make sure you denote in the subject line you want to join the group, not that you have a question because it's the same email you use for questions. So, um, you know, separate the two and Give us the email you log into Facebook with, and you will get a confirm once you get into the group. And if you have any problems, let us know, because sometimes it doesn't work, and I can handle that. And uh, yeah, don't be shy. We'd love to have you. A lot of animal photos, people asking for you know advice that maybe is like up to the minute important, like, hey, help, I had a weird experience or something. A lot of really cool, supportive people. Again, with the gifts, keep them coming. Yeah, keep them coming. Never stop. Lots of good stuff happening. Also, some discussion of the Me Too hashtag. Do we want to talk about that, Catherine? Yes, yes. Uh, over the weekend, this hashtag popped up and this um, statement on Facebook of Me Too. And it was in response to the Harvey Weinstein uh, situation and sexual harassment and, you know, rape culture in general. And people were using it in their status, hoping it would, you know, draw... Um, like if they've been harassed or sexually assaulted or anything of the like and hoping it it was written in the sense of more people will understand that there's so many of us. Now, personally, 
my quick hot take is I ended up doing it just because of solidarity with other people who hadn't come forward before and were, and I was really feeling, I want to show them I support them. But another look at it, which is absolutely correct, is, um, well, there's many layers to it, is why should people have to keep coming forward? Why can't we just act like people shouldn't have to be convinced you know what I mean? It should be like, oh, 500 of my yeah. Facebook friends said me too. Well, I guess I'll come around to be like, you know, toxic masculinity and rape culture. Sally, your takes. So it was in response, right, to Alyssa Milano asking people to use the hashtag in response to the Harvey Weinstein thing. And the thing I've been seeing a lot of people post is that maybe if everyone does this, people will understand the magnitude of the problem. And you know, one thing I think it's important to note, which Catherine, you shared this article on your Facebook page, is that Me Too was actually started by a black woman. And it wasn't a hashtag because this was back when Twitter before it was Twitter was a thing. But um, just quoting from the article that you shared, it says the 44 year old said she began Me Too as a grassroots movement to aid sexual assault survivors in underprivileged communities where rape crisis centers and sexual assault workers weren't going. It wasn't built to be a viral campaign or a hashtag that is here today and forgotten tomorrow. Uh, it was a catchphrase to be used from survivor to survivor to let folks know that they were not alone and that a movement for radical healing was happening and possible. And I think like for my money, that that use of Me Too makes a lot of sense to me, um, the connecting survivor to survivor and letting people know that there is this movement. Um, I think that the thing that I was frustrated with is that like I, I don't think the problem is that like women aren't coming forward. I think the problem is that women don't when, when women are coming forward, people don't believe them. And it's like we have to constantly, you know, like women and trans women. I don't mean to say women and tra trans women. I mean, transgender people, people of color, like people in marginalized groups come forward and have been coming forward and say, hey, like we're being marginalized in this way. We're being we're experiencing like violence in this way. And people don't believe them or don't care enough to do anything about it. I, I don't think that it's like for lack of women coming forward. Um, and so the, my reaction to seeing all the Me Too's is that it doesn't like acknowledge that this isn't this isn't a problem of like women not saying enough. This is a problem of like men doing terrible things and other men not policing each other. So I don't think it's without value. Um, I think that you know people have been finding power in like disclosing, and you know I I don't think anyone thinks that like using the me too hashtag is going to like solve the problem. So I don't, I, I'm not like upset about it because it's not like solving a problem. Cause I don't think it's like intended to solve a problem. I just, it like, I just feel like it perpetuates this framework that I think is the whole problem in the first place. Um, having said that it's complicated. I understand why people are doing it. And if people are feeling empowered and showing solidarity, then that's great. I just have complicated feelings about it, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it is a complicated issue. And I think I, I hope at least the takeaway from people this weekend, because, you know, like myself, like posting because I was feeling this surge of solidarity and but also recognizing the problems with it is that let's all be kind survivors uh, and uh, people who've been marginalized and hurt. Be kind to yourself. Uh, any any sort of criticism of the me too hashtag please don't think it's not a we don't believe you or you shouldn't talk about it that's not it that's not it at all it's more that the conversation does keep getting just not about what it really should be about that said uh, as a sign of solidarity and it was very intense to see some people you know come forward um you know i just can i yeah well Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I also almost just fell off my chair. Oh, that was that. I thought you were um, like, wait a minute. So that's that's that <laughs> that's what was happening there. I wanted to read uh not that it's like a competition who has the best like me too post, but there is a really good me too post. It happens to have been written by the person I got married to on Saturday, but um it just encapsulates a lot of really important ideas and I want to read it if that's yes. okay. But can I finish my first thought? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no. All I want to say just in summary, if someone's like, oh, my God, I wrote Me Too. Did I do the wrong thing? No, not at all. Like, I mean, definitely there's a, many things to be aware of. But at the end of the day, if you're a survivor and you were in any way feeling like you wanted to and you did it and made you feel better, like no shame in that. And that's that actually is why I did. So, you know, but it's you know, it's good to look at all of the history and some people don't want to come forward. And also some people are too scared to come forward. And some people were triggered by seeing other people come forward. But at the end of the day, 
we need to deal with violence like this and um, rape culture and power and harassment. We need to start really dealing with it. Um, this, unfortunately, is not going to solve and or change everyone's minds. But if you did do it, don't I mean if it helped. Yeah, I, I get it. And um, I just wanted to make sure people didn't feel badly for participating. Yeah, totally. No, I, I totally agree. I think it's one of those things that it's like it's not all bad and it's not all good it's complicated and if it works for you that's great um and i just i'm not gonna stop talking because i i basically just agree with everything you said and i don't want to like contradict myself um but okay so this so here's the post i was gonna read so me too in both obvious and subtle ways since i was a kid and never without me feeling every time at least in the back of my mind like i must have done something to invite encourage or failed to prevent it, despite my lifelong feminist consciousness. Imagine how different the world would look if we actually prioritized women's safety, comfort, and bodily integrity over anxiety about doing unwarranted harm to men's feelings, careers, and reputations. The men who explicitly and intentionally abuse women, the men who quote-unquote mean well but don't quote-unquote understand where the line is, the men who quote-unquote just can't believe it, even though it's hidden in plain sight right in front of their faces all the time, the progressive men who crack and tolerate sex jokes made by other men, whether or not women are present, the men who constantly objectify women without ever realizing they are doing it or insist that they are being complimentary, and the men who say and do nothing ever because they don't think it's their responsibility to understand how sexism works. How powerful is the collective conditioning across genders that causes us to pivot immediately from our own pain and discomfort to worry over offending, alienating, or unreasonably holding men accountable? How ironclad a case do we need to pull together before this conversation can evolve past us all shouting into the void? Mm -hmm. That was great. And uh, yeah, your, your partner wrote that. I was beautiful. Very well done. You know, I think this is our opening jibber jabber, yeah. by the way. So let's just keep it at that because there's one last thing I want to say about this topic before we move on to the emails is um, the way you speak to your friends. I'm talking to men. Um, this did open up a conversation of like, what are you men doing? What are men doing? What are they doing? And it's just, I, I do understand that it's difficult, but, you know, maybe start when you hear a guy say that about a woman or you hear a guy say something gross, please say something, say something. You know, this doesn't have to be in the locker rooms, quote unquote. It's not okay. It is a problem. And, you know, we're not going to all solve this at once, but everyone knows a guy. I know a guy, you know, and we all need to really start there as opposed to blaming women, you know, like our situation last year with Jamie Kilstein and not wanting to work with him and then wanting to go public. But there's a lot of layers. Um, please, please, please start calling your friends out who have this behavior and are cruel or abusive or flippant about sexual assault or harassment. Please try. You know, yeah, and not not the thing where you go up to the woman in the bar that your friend has been harassing and like apologize for them. That actually doesn't count. Like you 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 go up to the guy and you say a thing. Also, uh, don't use words for women that are made up only for women. Please, like, don't don't call women sluts and tramps. Like, even jokingly, that's not funny. Like. If a word was invented to describe one specific kind of person and is never used for any other kind of person, just don't ever use that word. And that's all I'll say about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, hey, just if you're like, I don't know any guys like that. Oh, fucking you do. Come on now. You do. You do. They're everywhere. I think you do. I think you you have a friend who, when you're just hanging out with your bros, is like, call someone slutty or something jokingly, you know, because jokes are funny. Yeah. Let's so make Catherine, a scavenger hunt of it. You know, try to find that friend today and, and mark it off on the card. And the first bingo card you get, tell us, make it a game. Find the guy. Bro bingo. Oh my. Bing bro. Um, <laughs> Bing bro. Damn, that's good. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. So a thing we did for self-care, shall we move on to that? I think we should. Cool. I took a bath. You guys, I oh, I also got uh, finally got my mammogram that I kept trying to get all summer. Every time I talked about going to get them, kept getting rescheduled. Um, long story short, uh, it's because my prescription got lost. We finally found it and then lost it again. And uh, basically, somebody in the house, it wasn't me, decided to use my prescription as a bookmark. <laughs> So we found That's it. Amazing. <laughs> and uh, self-care comes in many forms. So I took a bath when I was very stressed out. And I also got uh, checked out because you got to go to the doctor sometimes and make sure the pipes are nice. working. Yeah. What about you, Sally? Yeah. yeah. Well, 
congrats. It's bath season after all. So that's oh, awesome. Thank God. Yeah. I, uh, what did I do? I, so we had a wedding on Saturday and First of all, I was up until like 1.30 in the morning, which was I, – I hit a wall at 11 p.m. and I knew there was like still more partying to be done and I uh, – well, it was really rough. And I was so tired on Sunday. It was like – it's also so emotionally like overstimulating and I – it feels like you've been hit by a train of love and friendship because it's like everyone is like – focusing on you and saying all these wonderful amazing things to you and people are are treating you like that thing of people being like it's your day you can do whatever you want everyone is treating you like that and it's amazing it is also so emotionally overwhelming um and so on sunday i was i was tireder than i've ever been in my life and i've had mono multiple times and really badly so i spent all day sunday lying around i napped for a long time and then I went to bed super early and um, I just sort of tried to like metabolize all of the feelings from Saturday night which were like amazing feelings but you know feelings are feelings they take up a lot of room in the old head brain I don't know how you did it and honestly I think the only time I spoke to you was when I ran up to be like hi I'm not going to talk to you because I know you have a lot of friends here from out of town but I just want you to look amazing and bye bye and you're like no no we can talk and I was like no 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 no, bye because <laughs> I didn't want to monopolize yeah it it's so awesome but also challenging when um every single person that you love is not every single person almost almost every single person you love in the world is like within a 20 foot radius of you it's just like what do i do but it's it's like an amazing feeling i've, I've never felt anything like that and i now understand why people have weddings so for people who are wedding skeptics i hear you and i respect you but um Throw yourself a wedding. Oh, yeah. And two more things very, very quickly. One, uh, we'll talk about this on a bonus episode. I found out so much dirt about you from high school. I'm so excited. Uh, they're not not dirt. Oh, boy. Some good stories. But like funny stories where you're the hero. And number two, oh, um, awesome. I, I found early on like a dog who gets a treat for like sitting. When I pulled up my camera phone because I have the struggle bus case, like without fail, people would come up to me and be like, oh, my God, are you Catherine? So I was like, oh, I get attention every time oh, I hold so cool. hold this up. And it was hilarious. I was a celebrity for a day, too. And we're like, oh, my God, we listen to the show. So anytime I was feeling it was your old, wedding too, Catherine. Yeah. If people weren't paying attention to me, I would just pretend to take a photo and then someone would come running to me. It was great. No, it was really Actually, nice. Actually, someone someone came up to me. This is like a lot of my memories from that night. I don't remember who said specific things, but someone came up to me and was like, oh, my God, I was sitting next to Catherine. I heard her voice and I know it was Catherine, like just from listening to The Struggle Bus. Oh, my God, that's so funny. I think I know who that is. She sat next to me at the actual ceremony. She was so nice. Oh. Everyone's so nice. That's awesome. Your friends are great and your family's great. Cool. Yeah, they're pretty great. OK, let's get to some emails. And we did, we, we did talk about the live show, right? No. Oh, my shit. God. What is wrong well, with Well, we'll be real quick with this. We have a live show next week. It's Wednesday, October 25th at Union Hall in New York City. Over 21, unfortunately. Um, there's going to be a bunch of people coming from uh, from Struggle Buddies thing, I think. Friends, family. Please come if you're in New York. Go on to the website, strugglebuspodcast.com, information on how to get tickets. $12 at the door, so do $10 in advance. And you may say, wait, but there's a surcharge when I do in advance pretty much equaling $12. Yes, but it could sell out. We have Michael Denzel Smith, Molly Neffel, and Josh Gondelman, and a special surprise guest. The show's at 7. You'll be out by 8. Please come. Yeah. Well, you'll be out by 8.30. I don't know if you'll be out by 8. Yeah, yeah. more like it. 8.15-ish? Yeah, but... um. Yeah, 815. We're going to go ahead and aim for 815. Um, yeah, get your tickets. Join us. It's going to be a lot of fun. Get them in advance. And uh, we would love to see you there. It is in six days from when you're hearing this, probably. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, cool. So email number one, they need a name. Um, and it's a time-sensitive struggle. So this is a more recent letter, correct? Uh, yeah, I'm very excited to have missed, have not missed, not one, but two time-sensitive emails. I'm really proud. Um so the so name. what do you have? Are you watching anything? Yeah, I just finished the show Big Mouth. It's the one with uh, John Mulaney and uh, Nick Kroll or like cartoon about puberty. And oh, nice. I'm trying to find the uh, name. Hmm. Well, I just what rewatched the San Junipero episode of Black Mirror. OK, I don't know what any amazing. of those words mean. Go on. 
I, I don't think we've ever used the name Yorkie. So let's go with Yorkie. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Do you want me to read this? Yeah, let's go for it. Cool. Over the summer, I was an intern at a data company, and I was so excited because I know that Paid internships are difficult, if not impossible, to find. It started off fine. The people in my company seemed nice. There were only six people when I started, so it was a close-knit group. I started noting that my coordinator, the only male in the company, started to get a little too familiar for a workplace environment. It started out like saying, hey, buddy, when he wanted me to do something or other pet names. This annoyed me because I felt like he was talking down to me, but the rest of the office calls each other dear and honey when talking, so I thought it was the norm of the office. Come September, when my internship ended, I was asked to stay on part-time. Being hired out of an internship should be the dream, but this is where I really started to hate working there. The guy started to get possessive of me, not letting me talk to our boss, insisting that he knew what was best for me, making decisions for me without asking me first. He wanted to move our desks over into a corner of the office where no one else was away from my boss. Since he had been acting strangely towards me, I asked my boss if it was okay to not move my desk over to to the secluded corner, and she said yes. A week later, the guy pulled me aside for some reason, said, I'm really happy you got hired and not the other guy. You're way better looking than he was. It's nice to have a pretty girl like you to stare at at work. I was shocked that he told me this. What was I supposed to say? Thank you. Fuck off. I was at work, so I felt like I couldn't make a scene like I would if I was at the bar with friends. Next time I came into work, he called me over to his cubicle again, and this time he told that his friend who left the company a week after I started, who I met for a face-to-face -face interview, said, we should hire Yorkie because she's really good-looking. It would be good to have a nice girl in the office, not these old women that we work with. I'm so furious and confused. I'm mad because I feel like what these two men said erased all of my hard work at the company and how hard I've worked to get there, and I don't know what to do. I leave the company in a couple weeks because my contract is up. Do I talk to my boss about it? Do I approach him? I'm also mad at myself for not knowing what to say to him when he told me these things. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Yorkie. Yorkie, I'm in a rage. Let's throw it to New Orleans and then right back at me. Sally. <laughs> um, Yorkie, I'm sorry you're going through this. It sounds terrible. Um, listen, as far as being mad at yourself for not knowing what to say to him when he said this stuff, I mean, when this kind of stuff is said to you, like when men say this kind of stuff to you, it makes your brain go blank and it like your body goes into like fight or flight. I mean, I, it's like it it's incredibly difficult to be able to think of anything to say back in a situation like this, particularly something that's like exactly the right thing or like something calculated or, you know, something that looking back on it, you'd be like, I really did the right thing because this kind of shit like makes your brain shut down. So I would like to invite you to let yourself off the hook about that. Um, you know, I think that as far as like whether or not you talk to your boss about it, or not, I think um, I think like you have a couple options. One is to um, ask for an exit interview with HR or with your boss's boss and tell them then. Um, I think, you know, if you want to approach your boss about it, um, I think that is up to your judgment about how you think that conversation would go. Uh, you're in no way are you obligated to confront someone who talks to you this way. Um, he sounds mm, kind of boundaryless and scary to me. Um, you know, I'm not suggesting that you should be like afraid for your personal safety, but I mean, moving you away from the rest of the office. I mean, it's just, it's really boundaryless behavior. And I think that if you don't feel comfortable talking to him about it um, and, or you don't think anything will come of it, I think you should just skip it and talk to your boss's boss. Um, I definitely think that saying something would be good. Uh, I think it probably would make you feel empowered in some way um if you were if you addressed it somehow Catherine. yeah i mean okay so here yeah everything you said but here's here's the rub right oh, oh my god there's so many things i would want to say to this guy but to be completely honest with you your personal safety is a thing that you should consider again i'm not saying this is gonna end terribly but like that's something that you have to always consider unfortunately because that's scary. That is really scary. And I'm sorry that happened. A million percent tell your boss or your boss's boss because this behavior is going to happen to someone else. I'm so glad you're getting out of there. I'm so sorry you had this experience. Um, 
again, I, I don't mean to be victim blamey when I say, you know, to try to protect yourself and tell people, but like for your own, you know, just handling it, this is the only things you really can do that would have some effect on it. Um, yeah, I, 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 it's, I've had fantasies about saying things to guys who say things to me, but then I'm like, right. Or, or I could die because that's how the world works. Um, so your anger is absolutely, absolutely, completely, um, valid. Uh, as Sally said, you are, you're right. Be kind to yourself. You, you freeze up sometimes when something like that happens. It happened to me the other day, a guy asked me to take off my noise canceling headphones to ask me if they were noise canceling headphones. And what I wanted to say was, well, they were, but what I said was, yeah. And then he like started a conversation. Then I was like, bye. But at that moment I was just stop thinking. I was like, what just happened? So you know, yeah, tell tell your boss or your boss's boss, this person needs to have at least a record of this behavior on their file for the next time he does it. It it really is the best thing you can do. And then stay the fuck away from that guy. You know? Yeah, I, I just realized that I think I thought this guy was your boss. Now I now I see that he's not. He's like your superior in some way, but there's another boss. Yeah, the boss said, as a, as a woman, she yeah. said, you don't have to move desks over. Well, I mean, if she's distracted and doesn't notice what's going on, that to me would be a red flag as a boss. So, you know, maybe just double down and have a meeting with her and be like, also, he did this and this and this. She needs to know. Yeah. And keep a record yeah, of it for yourself. Talk to her about it. Yeah. And I always say this whenever something is happening in the workplace, you know, even though you freeze up in the moment, don't worry, that happens to everybody. But when you go home, if you can, write down, email it to yourself exactly what was said, when and how. I, I keep a record of certain people yeah. that are on my on my list of this could end badly. I do still to this day occasionally write emails to myself saying this happened in this work environment on this day just so I have it because, you know. Yeah, that's a really good idea. I would definitely take a lot of notes and date them. And that'll also help you if you end up going to talk to your boss. You can refer to it. You can say like, you know, you don't have to go in there you know, if you go in feeling really nervous about having the conversation, you don't have to like wing it. You can basically use like the bullet points you've written down and just it's like a, basically like a laundry list. Um, but Yorkie, I'm really sorry going through this. Um, try. I, you haven't done anything wrong. Um, it's actually this dude and this other dude. So if you can let yourself off the hook for like not having said the quote unquote right thing. I've like never said the right thing. Like maybe once or twice a cat call. I've like been nailed it. But like, no, this is your workplace. You shouldn't have to be thinking of zingers or like shutdowns, you know. And also just, yeah, again, at the very end when you said uh, erasing. Yeah, that's it feels like it erased your your um your hard work. But just please know that, you know, you know, you, your friends know you, your coworkers know you. You can totally crush it. It has nothing. There are people who will see your talent, and those are the ones you should be working with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And like the the hard work you've done has absolutely nothing to do with this one asshole. Um, and just keep trying to remind yourself of that. So, um, you know, before we read our next email, Sally. Sally. Hello. Yes, go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't hear you. Um, which is like, I feel like we all need to take a little bit better care of ourselves. Uh, taking care of mental health is, is key, isn't it? It sure is. Mental health is no exception. It's part of our overall health. And that is why today's sponsor, Talkspace, the online therapy company, makes it easy to connect with an experienced licensed therapist handpicked just for you for as little as $32 a week, which is a goddamn bargain. It is a fucking bargain. I mean... For reals, Talkspace has a lot of options for you. You can send your therapist texts, audio, video messages whenever you want, or even do a live video chat. You want to vent about work or family or that guy that Yorkie was just talking about or talk through something that's been on your mind. No problem. Talkspace has trained professionals who are there to help. And guess what? If you want to sign up or just learn more for free, you can go ahead and sign up for free. Go to Talkspace.com slash bus. And because we love you and you're our special listeners, we're giving you this coupon code and it's bus. We wanted to do struggle bus, but then they were like, no, nah, you can do bus. And we're like, we're the only bus podcast. This is fantastic. And you get $30 we'll off your first month and um, show support for the struggle bus because it helps us too. Uh, so that's bus and Talkspace.com slash bus. Talkspace, therapy for how we live today. Talkspace. Cool. <laughs> All right. Do you want to do this one? Yeah. And did they ask for a name? Oh. Yeah, they asked for the name Cordelia uh, as a longtime lover of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And yes, you can be called Cordelia. Okay. 
Hey, Kate and Sally. My problem is, in a couple of months, I'm going on holiday with my mom and two of my sisters. To most people, this wouldn't be a big deal, but I get extreme anxious belly whenever I think about it. So to give you some background, my parents broke up when I was nine, and on that day, my whole family moved and left me with my dad. I've spent a lot of time and money in therapy talking about this time. My dad has undiagnosed Asperger's, and these years were very difficult for me as I became my dad's primary caregiver. I felt very alone and isolated and went from having three sisters to having none overnight. I had a difficult relationship with my mom, which only improved when I started investing a lot of time in our relationship when I was 20. It took till 23 before I could call her a friend. In this period, I also got married, and when I left him at age 25, I finally realized my mom was always there, and since then, we have been quite close. I've never been super close to my sisters, but when I was married, we were very close to the middle sister, taking her children for days and babysitting every other week. Within six months of leaving my ex, I moved to a city an hour away and changed my entire life. I had to learn to be an adult by myself and be self-sufficient. My life really started when I did this, and I've made a lot of close friends in the past three years, and I'm living the life I always wanted now that I'm out of my toxic, controlling relationship. Since I've left the sister I was closest to... Since I've left, the sister I was closest to has visited my house once and has frequently complained that I don't visit her. Originally, I went back more than once a month, but in the last year, I've only gone back once every two months, as literally going back to my hometown makes me miserable, and I see someone related to my old life every time. Recently, my sister came to the city where I live, but only told me the day before. I found out when we met up that her family had gone to the theater and had got tickets months before. I had moved stuff around on short notice because I knew she would complain if I didn't come because it's just another time I've made no effort, according to her. My two sisters and mom are so alike. I have a different dad to them, but I'm not like my dad either. I have goals and the life I want. My sisters settle down young and have a couple kids each and can't see outside of their bubbles. Basically, they don't understand me. As an example, a few years ago, I went to Berlin over Christmas by myself and had the best time. They still ask why I went and my justification of it. I hate Christmas and I wanted to feel free, was and is never enough. They'll never get it. I spend my life with them wanting to be accepted on a family level but not wanting to be like them. I find their lives routine and dull. We are so different because of multiple reasons and I feel like I can see the world through their eyes but they either don't want to or can't see the world through my eyes. So Kate and Sally... How do I keep sane for five days in New York with three people that don't understand me? Luckily, I'm going to Washington for three days by myself after. They are going home, and I can go back to being myself. I'm worried about those five days. A day can feel like a month when you should watch what you say, feel alone, and be surrounded by people you have to put on a face for. There's a lot I haven't gotten into here, but I covered the main points. Hey, do you remember the TV shows with families that all got along? I feel like this was not something that was good for my mental health as it makes me feel super alone. What a positive ending to this letter. Thanks for reading and keep going. Love, Cordelia. Cordelia. Oh, boy. Um, Sally, I apologize. I, why do they, is there a reason they have to go to New York? I, I'm trying to look here. Or is it just um, a family no, thing? I, I think it's just one of those family obligation deals okay i mean because my first thing would be to say would you say no to it um why didn't you say no to it do you want to do it uh the fact is you're in the situation right now so okay uh what i would say is you're not going to keep sane for five days in new york with three people that don't understand you you're going to have um rough moments but if you can um if it's not too late to cancel or if you feel comfortable doing that find a way to carve out you time um, if you know people in New York or you want to go to, like, say, a struggle bus live or something, or if there's anything you've <laughs> always wanted to do that they don't want to do, it, it doesn't have to be a lie, but you don't have to tell them the whole truth. You can say, oh, I'm going to be checking this out or I don't know, because you're going to need some you time to to keep, you know, keep yourself in check, because I, too, get very anxious when I'm around certain people in my family. You know, and I just tell myself, you'll get through today. It'll be fine. You have your friends on call or text. Sometimes, sadly, you'll be on speed text. If I'm like, I'm about to walk into a situation, I need to get some animal photos. I do that with friends all the time. Um, you know, it's five days is a long time. I'm not going to lie to you. And five days in New York can seem like an eternity sometimes. Um, try to have fun. But please, please, if you can carve out, I'm talking like full days for yourself. 
um, you know, Sally, thoughts? Yeah, I, I would just recommend everything you just said. I would carve out time. I would carve out a lot of time like throughout every day to be by yourself and to recharge, whether it's like taking a nap or just being by yourself or texting a friend. Um, I would also totally consider like not going on the trip. Um, maybe it's one of those things. I mean, I'm guessing because you said, mom, that you're in the UK. And so I'm guessing this is like a big trip and it's an opportunity to like visit New York, maybe like on your parents' dime. And so maybe you're like weighing the, you know, the benefits. Um, so I understand not wanting to not go, but I don't know, man, like the coolest trip in the world doesn't like undo the like emotional havoc wreaked by having to be around family that make you feel terrible. So, um, you know, if you can not go, if not going is an option or if it's something you want to entertain as an option, I would. Um, you know, I think you can also try. I don't know if you've tried talking to your family about the way they talk to you and what they say to you. But, um, you know, you you want to be accepted by them. And, you know, maybe you'd feel more accepted if they didn't like say certain things like it sounds like you you don't like the like they you don't like or understand the life they have and they don't like or understand the life you have and that's like totally fine but maybe they could be maybe you could request that they not like say that to you all the time in the same way that like you don't say that to them i think that's a totally reasonable request um you know i don't know if you've already given them the opportunity to like be better to you um but it might be worth doing that you know you haven't said anything like specifically that makes me think they wouldn't be like receptive to that. Although you noted in your letter that this is kind of the tip of the iceberg. And so maybe there there is there are some details that we're not getting that, you know, have you, you know, convinced that talking to them directly about this stuff won't won't be helpful. Um yeah, but that's my advice. I, I carve out a lot, a lot, a lot of time for yourself and you know, write down some some things that'll help you, some things that you can say to yourself while you take some deep breaths, um, that'll help like center you. Um, cause it's really hard to travel internationally with people that you don't want to be around. And luckily New York city has a lot to offer. So there's always some excuse, <laughs> you know, check out yeah. a park, go to a show. Could, oh, sorry. Or just like go to some crowded area and like basically, uh, arrange to get separated from them and like, just be like, I lost you in the crowd. And then like find them three days later or something. Do it. Day one. Show up again on it's, day five of the airport. Yeah, go to like Times Square or Grand Central or something. It's a really, really good place to get separated. Big time. Oh, and also your mother, you say you guys are getting along. Ask her if you could have a, a lunch together or something. I don't know. Have some bonding time with mom. Yeah. Cool. Well, totally. Cordelia, let us know. Yeah, keep us posted about that, Cordelia. Um, okay, so should we do this third letter? Yeah, why not? Cool. This is from, they want to be called Steve Rogers, a.k.a. Captain America, because they're an American-born, professional, white, cis, able-bodied guy, in their words. So, Steve Rogers. I didn't know that was Captain America's real name, but I don't know much about comics, so. I didn't either. All right, Steve Rogers. I also don't actually know who Captain America is, so. You know, I think it's a comic. Yeah, I think that's right. Maybe, I think he's the guy with, like, the shield, maybe. Yes, he is a shield, and it's, it's, yeah. I wonder what he yeah. really stands for. Do you know what I mean? We can talk about that some other time. Yeah, bonus episode material. Yeah, American. It's like, um, there's a lot of different viewpoints in America. Okay. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, okay, so. He says, I have volunteered with an organization for several years, which has a reputation for catering to the interests of middle class, professional, white, cis, able bodied men, a reputation which we certainly earned in our early history, but which we have been trying and trying to change. Last year, the organization formed a a committee specifically to address diversity, inclusion and accessibility. Sally, did you almost fall over again? I mean, the, I'm not used to sitting in the chair I'm sitting in, and so I'm trying to play it cool. It, the chair has like a reclining, and you look like you fell backwards. It's just a regular chair, but what I'm trying to do, I think, is I'm overthinking keeping my face in the right place for the microphone and also having my eyes be able to see the dock. So I'm just like, Ooh. Wow, it really looked like you fell over. Anyway, back to the letter. I almost did, but I caught myself. All right. So. Last year, the organization formed a committee specifically to address diversity, inclusion, and accessibility. I attended every meeting, let other people set our priorities and agenda, and volunteered to take on a lot of the the behind-the-scenes and time-intensive work. The committee lasted for about five months before it fizzled from lack of leadership. Fast forward to this month, the organization's board of directors approached me and asked if I would serve as a committee lead. My first reaction was to say, no, my face shouldn't be 
the Face of Diversity, Inclusion, and Accessibility Committee, they responded by explaining that they had approached every member of the organization who was an immigrant, a person of color, trans, or disabled, and none of, and none of them were interested in taking on the role. Some didn't want leadership positions, some already had their plates full, and others didn't want to feel like diversity mascots. The board also expressed that I was basically their plan Z, and if I didn't do it, they wouldn't have any choice but to drop the committee for the time being. Now, I should point out that our organization is actually fairly diverse these days. We have a multiple people of color in leadership roles on the board, an almost even split by gender, and a handful of people with disabilities on the board. We're having trouble recruiting and retaining transgender representation, but it's not from a lack of trying. Our programs make strides each year at being more welcoming, but we all acknowledge that change takes time. Despite the progress we've made, we know there's a lot more to do. I tentatively agreed to take on the role, but I still have my doubts that I'm doing the right thing. As a committee lead, I will be responsible for setting the agenda and goals, but how do I do that as a good ally who practices the concept of sitting down and shutting up when it's not about me? As passionately as I believe in the work of the committee, I worry that I'll end up doing more harm than good, especially if our more vocal critics pick up on the idea that a white, cis, able-bodied guy is supposed to represent our efforts at being less focused on white, cis, able-bodied men. My anxiety about this is through the roof as I question every step I take. Am I casting myself in the role of white savior by accepting the idea that if I don't do this, no one will? Why would anyone take me seriously when I provide recommendations about making our programs more trans-inclusive if I don't have any trans people providing input on the recommendations? Why am I more qualified to comment on representation in our marketing materials than our African-American media director? Will every misstep I make be under a microscope? How do you suggest I handle my anxiety? And any advice on being a good ally in this somewhat awkward position? Sincerely, Steve Rogers. Steve, thank you for this. This is a wonderful question. Sally. Yes, Steve, thanks for the email. This is really thoughtful. I think you're asking a lot of really good questions. A lot of the questions you're asking, if you weren't asking yourself, my my advice would be to ask all of them, but you're already doing that. Um, you know, in terms of handling your anxiety, I think uh, I think when you have kind of situational anxiety that's like in response to a particular thing you're going through in your life as opposed to like sort of like ambient generalized anxiety that like one might always feel. I think it's worth figuring out exactly what it is about the situation that is making you feel anxious and how you're experiencing the anxiety and try to um, figure out how you can kind of talk back to your anxiety uh, and kind of quiet the voices a little bit um, because you know, I, I think that being nervous about doing the right thing, being anxious about every step you take, I think is kind of part of the deal um, and the kind of work you're doing and the position you're in. I think if your anxiety is disrupting, like if you're not sleeping because of it, if you if your appetite changes, if it's interfering with like your relationships or your performance at your job, like that, that's like a different thing. But if if you're if you're anxious because you want to, like, do the right thing, I think that's actually just, like, part of the deal. Um, but I think you do need to, like, find some ways to talk back to it so it doesn't, like, sideline you. Um, in terms of, like, being a good ally in this situation, I think that the problem here is actually an organizational problem um, that has deeper roots than just, like, should you or should you not be in this position. Um, you said that they asked a bunch of people already to do this who like weren't white and cis and able-bodied and they said that everyone they asked either had too much in their plate or didn't want to be a token I think is, is what you said oh a diversity mascot some didn't want leadership positions I think like the thing that actually needs to happen is you need to do some listening and your organization needs to do some listening to people in this organization around why they don't want leadership positions um, how if they did want to work on this kind of project but their plates are full, how they can be supported to take this on if that's what they want and what's happening that they feel like diversity mascots, um, you know, because I think that's actually like the deeper problem that is not going to be solved by you making all the right choices in this role. Um, I think on a practical level, like one of your goals should be to do this in such a way that it can be handed off to someone who's better than you who's who's better suited to this role than you. Um, but I think like even before you start to tackle the responsibilities of this role, I think that your organization needs to engage in some 
deeper reflection about what their goals are and how they think they're going to accomplish them and the extent to which people of color, trans-identified people, disabled people, immigrants are actually being heard and seen and included in the organization. I think before that's really addressed, it's going to be really hard for you to sort of do all of the right things in this role. Catherine, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, um, so this organization that you volunteer for, um, they tried to have this uh, diversity thing. And you got to wonder, um, the people who do contribute, who are people of color, or disabled, uh, trans, did they want an extra job? Like, what what is the point of the diversity committee so that you don't look the organization doesn't look bad. Like, what would they be doing? What are the tools? Is it training? Is it training all the people there who are white, able-bodied men that here's how diversity works? Or are they actually going to start hiring up in different positions more and, and doing a lot more um, stuff? I don't know what the diversity committee specifically. Is it diversity committee? Am I reading this wrong? Um what exactly does that mean? What 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 would it look like to you? What would it look like to a person who's disabled? I mean, you might want to think about asking some of the people who are asked and be like, out of curiosity, why did you say no to this? Um, what do you want to see us do for you? What what can we do to help? And how would you like to be, you know, I mean, that's asked them to do a lot of emotional labor, but then again, so is being the head of a committee. Um I can understand why someone would say no to that. Like if someone came to me in an organization, this is not an exact parallel, but said, oh, hey, can you be on the, you know, don't rape women committee? And I'd be like, what the fuck? Um, I do feel that there needs to be a lot more conversations uh, in organizations, no matter what the cause is, about um, the history of the the program and why it is that it has not been as diverse. Um, but I don't know that forming a committee is going to really, do, you know what I mean? Like, I don't quite know what those committees would do. And I think I, that's like maybe the first question that yeah, you can ask. Yeah, I think it's a good question to ask. And, you know, I think it's also really complicated when you start asking marginalized people to solve the problem of marginalized people being excluded. Like, on the on the one hand, like, you know, it, it is their input and leadership that is most important. And on the other hand, like, why should it be their job to make your organization more inclusive? Like, uh, I, I think that you guys have a lot of stuff to figure out. Um, I, I would actually recommend there are people, there are consultants in the nonprofit field whose whole job is to help organizations grapple with these topics. Um, people who are really, you know, learned and thoughtful about quote unquote, diversity and inclusion um, and can help organizations uh, sort of come to terms with some of these issues in their own organizations and, you know, think through possible solutions and also get at what is happening like on a deeper level uh, that that this is even an issue in your organization. So I, w- I would I would recommend, I you know, worrying less about the should you lead the committee thing and worrying more about getting this addressed and on a, on a deeper level, preferably with, you know, someone whose job it is to help people grapple with these types of issues. Yeah. I just actually, when you said the thing about hiring an outside consultant, I just raised my hands in the air like, yes, that is a really great suggestion. Because first <laughs> of all, I don't know if the, your organization can afford it, but they can't afford not to have something happen. So it sucks that you may want to budget to have an outside consultant coming in, but that's actually, I think, one of the best case scenarios, so long as you find a really good consultant who is who knows a lot about these issues because then it's not somebody in the organization and, and, you know, starting fights or making it weird, like having somebody objectively just come in and say, here's a problem and here's how to fix this or here's how to start working on this. It's less work for the people who (laughs) were asked to run the committees who clearly didn't want to for some reason. It's zero work for them to have to, you know, do anything unless there's a session where they want to talk about how they feel. But having someone else come in, assess the office and then say, okay, Here's here's some ideas. I think is money well spent. Um, yeah, and I think like a lot of times what these facilitators do is they come in and they do a lot of interviews with people in the organization, and they you know they don't come in and be like, here's what's wrong, A, B, and C. Here are your solutions, one, two, and three. It's more like they get to know the organization, they get to know the people in the organization, and they they create a space where people can have conversations about what's going on that feel sort of safer than 
you know, someone it's it's tough when like someone you report to in some way comes to you and is like, hey, what do you think is wrong with this organization? Like it puts the person in a really awkward position. But when it's a consultant, they can sort of create like a safer, more maybe like anonymous space or whatever. Um, and just like get those conversations started in a way that they're very skilled at doing. So uh, that might be a good option for you, uh, Steve Rogers. I love that idea. I didn't even know about that. And now that I that you said that I'm like right of course there are people who do that I you know um it reminded me of that yeah. scene in an office space yeah. where the guy comes in and then they they're like Michael Bolton that's your real name and he has to talk about Michael Bolton with them for hours because yeah. he doesn't want to lose his job and they're like assessing but yeah no it's great it gives a it gives a sense of safe safety to like you can tell me what this organization is doing to make you feel not as included as opposed to your boss asking you because let's be honest I think that's great um yeah Steve is that the the, the name Steve Rogers, I think you're Steve onto Rogers. something. A really, really great topic. Thank you so much for writing in. I genuinely get that you want to do the right thing. And um, yeah, yeah, maybe really try to convince them to yep. do that. Yeah, totally. Thanks for asking such awesome questions, Steve. Keep us posted uh, on how it all shakes out. Yeah. So, hey, listen, you can tweet at us at StrugglebusPod. Email us at StrugglebusPodcast at gmail.com. Use the hashtag StrugglePodBuds420 to find a struggle buddy. Somebody did it this week with animal photos. It was great. Um, Instagram.com slash StrugglebusPod. Tweet at Sally T. Tweet at me at SPK Heller. Um, if you Got want it. to join the Facebook group, email us and give us your regular email. If you want to become a bonus member for as little as $5 a month, you can go onto our website and click on the link. And please come to our show Wednesday, October 25th at 7 p.m. Union Hall, Brooklyn, New York, 21 and over show. We're working on having an all-ages show at some point. It's not like we're going to get up there and just be like, you know, cussing. But uh, it's the alcohol stuff that they get concerned about. And there will be cussing. Don't you, don't you worry about that. But, um, yeah, come see our show. Um, Sally, Song of the Week. Yes. Song of the Week is an oldie but goodie that I was reminded of when I rewatched San Junipero, which I referenced earlier. Uh, it's Don't You Forget About Me by The Simple Minds. And it was in The Breakfast Club you know, it was part on the Breakfast Club soundtrack. It's just a great song from that era. I don't even know. The 80s? I don't know. what. Do you know what year it was, Catherine? 80 something. I can look it up. I'm going to say like 86, but that's just a guess. Um, okay. okay. 85. 85. Okay. So it's a classic. Enjoy it. It's delightful. It's very sweet. And uh, listen to it. Listen to a little bit of it right now. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for listening. I'm Kate. I'm Sally. Bye. Bye. Won't you come see about me?